Okay, Erev Tov. This is, we're doing Parsha's Sav. Sav is when it's not a leap. I'm sorry? Did you press record? Over here. Okay, sorry. Sav, when it, in a non-leap year, is always the Parsha before Pesach. So at the end of the class, we'll try to make the connection between this week's Parsha and Pesach. And let's start with the very beginning. We'll learn the first five, six verses together. We'll explain what's going on, and then we'll ask some very uh, appropriate questions and come up with two very, very pertinent messages. Vaidaber Hashem al Moshe Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Sav es Aaron Vesbun of command Aaron and his sons. Lamor saying, Zos Torres Haola. This is the law of the Ola. The Ola is the offering that is completely burnt and totally given to Hashem. Hua Ola al Mokta. This is the fire that is on the pyre or the flame. Alamis Beach. And they say, Kola Laila Adaboka. The whole night until the morning. Beishamis Beach Tukad Bo. And the fire of the altar should be kept aflame on it. Okay, now we come. To the relevant verses for the class. So now it stays until the morning. Now the very first thing that's done in the morning, pre-dawn hours, is the following. And the Kohen shall put on his, uh, his shirt and his pants Yilba shall besorrow, worn on his flesh. Veherim es hadeshen, literally it means, and he will raise the ash. Asher tochala esha so ola mizbech, which the fire consumed of the korban oil that's on the mizbech. Vesamal eitzal amizbech, and he will place it next to the mizbech. Now, too bad I don't have any audio visual aids I should have maybe prepared, but you have to have an idea that the altar. It was in the Azorah, it was in the courtyard, mm-hmm. and there was a ramp that went up mm-hmm. the courtyard, and the ramp was on the southern side. On top was the Mizbeach, mm-hmm. that had a number of fires there, and the, there was the main ash buildup was in the middle. Okay, now, of course, there are items placed on the fire, and they produce an ash as well. So, this... Um, mitzvah that the coin is doing is called trumas hadeshen from the word veherim es hadeshen and he raises the ash so he takes a special shovel he sticks it into the ash lifts it up goes back down the ramp makes a left turn goes on the ground next to the side of the ramp halfway up to the side of the ramp and drops the ash on the ground. And that is called the Trumas Hadeshen. That is taking this, well, that's not a lot of work. You just go up the ramp, take a nice little shovel, not a huge shovel that you're doing snow uh, shoveling with, a nice small type of shovel, and scoops up one scoopful of ash, goes down, puts it on top of the ground. What happened to it? There's different opinions what happened to it. Some say that it absorbed the ground, swallowed it up, and it went inside, whatever. And that was called the mitzvah of Trumas Hadeshen. Step one. Pasuk Dalit. Ufashad Esbegadov. And now he takes off his clothes. Velovash Begodam And puts on other garments. Vahotzi Esadeshen. And he takes out the ash, el michutz lamachana, outside of the Jewish camp. He takes it right outside Yerushalayim, el makom tohor, to a holy place. Is that the other ash? This is a second mitzvah called hotza'as hadeshen, removing the ash. Mm-hmm. Now this requires, from time to time, the ash came became way too much. Remember, every day you're only taking one scoopful of ash. There's been thousands of carbonos. There's a lot more ash than one scoop. So depending on the need, I don't know how often it was, once a week, once a month, I don't know. 
depending on if it was a busy season, slow season, he would then clean all the ashes out, a thorough cleaning, and they would be taken far away from the Mizbech. That was called Hotsa'as Hadesh. But if it was swallowed by the ground, why would they eat something? But there was only one scoop. Every day before the services, you took one shovelful. It was not everything. You, I, you, have, you, you imagine you had thousands of carbonos that were burning. You had a lot of ash. So every morning, he took one shovelful of ash and put it next to the ground. When there was too much ash, now a lot of the ash was put into the middle of the Mizbeach. It formed almost the shape they call like an apple, like a dome. But when the ash became too much, then his job was to take it all. That was a much bigger job. And take it away, far away. That was the second mitzvah. Then we are told in Pesachet, for Eish al Mizbech Tukadbo, the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. Lo Sikhbeh shall not be extinguished. Uvir Allah coin eight simbaboka baboka, and the coin would burn different wood on it every morning. Varechala, he would arrange the korban ola on that. He would burn upon it the fats of the peace offering. And we end this section section Eish Tamid Tukad al Mizbech. There should be a permanent fire shall remain on the Mizbech. Lo sikhbeh, it shall never be extinguished. This is the first section in Parsha's Tzav. So let's analyze a few questions. This, first of all, do, I, do you have any questions? There's one obvious question if you think about it, and then there's many more well, questions. Ash, he's not really moving it from the Mizbech. He basically is taking it down from the ramp. At the end of the month, he's taking it out of the courtyard and probably it's two separate two different mitzvahs what's with so, the two different clothing what does he got to put on different clothes to do different things why does he need to put on different clothing, different clothing. okay one little shovel over and then he's got to go get changed okay so why is it that has to change okay that's a good question Anything? why the one little shovel yeah. Yeah, okay I mean, ask the question better okay why does he have to go once a day in the morning, first thing, and, and move one small shovel worth of ashes to another area. Well, I know it's a mitzvah, mitzvah, but why is that a mitzvah? Why does, why, what's the purpose of that mitzvah? Okay, you, you're getting there, but you could ask the question even better. <laughs> I'm not Go ahead. The you asked, but I'm confused. When you're taking the ash away, which pile is getting too big? The one on top or the one on the bottom? It's one on, on the top. Bottom. On top. No, the one on top. The one on top. The one on top's getting too big, so that's he takes everything away. That's right. Every day, he just takes one scoop. That's not getting too big. He goes, just one scoop. Filling up the shovel. Goes down the ramp, left turn, places it on the ground. By the next day, that ash is gone. Either it's got swallowed up in the lamp, but it's gone. Next day, takes comes another scoop. Comes down, goes there, he's down. Now, so what's the purpose He's of that taking question? one scoop um, irrespective of how much ash is on the Mizbeach. Then I guess they had a predetermined amount of ash that must be on the Mizbeach. Mm-hmm. At that point, they would have to do a separate service, removing all the ash and taking it far away from the base of the English. That sounds more like a... So what's, the point, what's the point of that first mitzvah to bring that one scoop down? That's, that that seems... So say it better. You, you, you're saying it, but you can what say What makes that ash different than the other why, ash? Why don't we just take all the ashes off every day? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Take all the ashes off. I don't I understand. In your house, well, not now, but when you had little kids, I can imagine if it was anything like my house, it was a big mess at the end of the day. After supper, it was a big mess. Maybe not in your house, but in my house, it was a big mess. Now, with grandchildren, my house is a big mess. Okay? So, if you're, uh, you have the time and you're not stressed, you, you take one, you do like two plates off and throw it out 
and then every day you take two plates off, and then you wait till it's so unmanageable. Two weeks later, now you clean everything in one shot. I don't think that's that's, 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 how, men clean. that's how men clean. Okay, <laughs> but just just you want to keep it clean. So take every day, take it out, and far away and done. That would seem to be a very simple solution. Or if you're not really accomplishing so much with one scoop, so wait every week and take it all out. And it seems from the wording over here, obviously he didn't do it every day, but if he's doing it, well, why is he first taking out one scoop when afterwards he's going to clean the whole thing out? By the way the Pusik is worded, it says that the very same Kohen who's donning his Kohanic garb and he takes the scoop out, Puts it away. He says, oh, today's the day we're going to do the major clean. So now you got to change your clothes and go back and take everything out. Seems like a heck of a bureaucratic system, if you ask me, over there. So that's very, very unusual. Okay. And more than that, you could ask, why does he have to change his clothes at all? That's the question you asked already, right? Okay. But he won't get his clothes messy. Well, unlikely to get it messy if we just want to... And let me ask another question. When... Why are they starting to get rid of the ash in the early morning? Why don't you just do it at the end of the night? At the end of the night. Just wait, wait, wait till the fire's done. Two, three o'clock at night. And I'll clean it off. Last night's is last night's. You do a barbecue in your house? Do you ever have a campfire? Yeah. Remember those days? Yeah. Okay. So the fire is raging, and then it's like at night, eight, nine o'clock. You wait till it goes out, right? Then whatever you have to do to clean it, you're going to take care of it then. Why why just wait till the next day? Maybe the ash itself has a purpose, a meaning, the ash itself. Okay. Do you have an idea what the meaning is? No. Oh, okay. No, That's good. That's good. But the heat is all gone. The kurban was going full night until morning. Rabbi. No, it had to stop. If you're taking ashes, remember, there's there. Okay, there's the main. There's one fire on the side that had to be forever, but the other fire stopped, and that's. Do you have ash where there's fire? No. No, no you only have ash where there's no fire. So when the fire stops, there's ash. So get rid of it. Why wait? But it still, but it's still, still retains hot. some heat. Your campfire example, you don't do the fire pit till the next morning, ever. Until it's all cold. <laughs> exactly. You always do the next morning. I've done lots of fire pits. <laughs> I'm sure of this. Okay. How could you take the ash and keep keeping the fire going? There's, different, there's, there's, there's one primary fire that never goes out. And then... The ash is put on different. Yeah. There's a number of different fires going on, so others go out. Others go out. Okay, um, all right. And then it seems, it seems that this all rolls into. So it's a midst of taking the ash out, and then we seem to follow it up with, and the fire has to be continuous. What's the continu- What's the connection between removing the ash and keeping the fire to be continuous? That's something to talk about. So regarding your question, Kathy. Why did he change the clothes? So Rashi discusses this. Now we're going to get some fun and look inside the Chumash and look at the Rashi. Remember how to read Rashi? Yes. So we're going to look. You see where it says Rashi on page 568? There's two columns. Look at the left column. 568 in the Hebrew. The left column from the top over there. Count three lines. You see the Dalid at the end of the line says Upashat Espigodov. Yeah. Okay. He removes the first clothing. Yeah. Oh, by the way, what look, why does if it, what does it say after he removes his clothes? It says he puts on other clothes, right? Yeah. So so I'm sorry to do this to you. What, leave one finger on the Rashi, take your other finger and go on top of the Pusik Dalid. Now Ufashat Espegodov, right? Yeah. So let's take those three words out for a minute. Start the Pusik with he puts on other clothes. Okay. okay. What would be wrong in the puzzle if I didn't have the first three words and he takes off his clothes? 
In Pasek Gimel, it says he puts on one pair of clothes. Okay. So what if I left out the three words at the beginning of Pasek Dal and just start with, and he puts on other clothes? If you put on other clothes, don't we know that he takes off those clothes? Would you put clothes on top of clothes? No. I'm saying, if Pasek Gimel says he puts on clothes, he scoops out one scoop of ash. Now, if in Pusik Dalit, it would then start with, and he puts on other clothes, what would you assume is happening? So why do I have to write, and he removes his clothes and puts on other clothes? There's a significance of the So that's a tip-off to what Rashi is going to explain to us. So now let's look at the Rashi in Pusik Dalit. It says... Again, the third line, it says, Upashat is where he removes his clothes. Ein zechova, that's not an obligation. Eladerech eretz, but it's proper manners. Why? Shalo yelachlech, that this first pair of clothes should not get dirty. Bootsas hadeshen begadim shemishtamish botamid. When he's going to take out the big amount of ash, he's going to get the first garment for sure dirty. You can take one shovel out and keep fairly clean, but a whole place, chimney sweep, you're going to get dirty. And now we have an analogy. Let's say a servant of a king. Let's say the servant cooks in the kitchen and then serves the meal. So he says, The clothes you wear when you were cooking the meal for your master, you don't use the same one to pour a cup of wine. Therefore, he puts on other clothes. So what's Rashi saying over here? Rashi's saying, you're changing the clothes because they have different purposes. And, you know, the first one is a very small amount. Second, a second avoda is a way bigger amount. And that's, you know, can get, you, you don't want the other clothes to get dirty. You don't want the clothes to get dirty. So he puts this on. So, the question is... It doesn't answer your question. Though. The question is, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why, first of all, you know we could solve this problem very easily. First of all, why, why do I have to change the clothes? Because look, look what he did. What, what did he do first? What did he do second? What was the analogy? When you're the cook in the kitchen, okay, you're going to get messy, right? Now, now that you're going to serve the king... You change. It's gonna change. Yeah, okay. Now, which one of these cleanings represented which one of the parts of the analogy? So the, the first. We got. We got cooking the meal, serving the drink. So, which one? The first shovel is what, and the extreme amount is what? Well, the first, first shovel, shovel is, is serving, serving the drink. Serving the drink. Right. Serving the drink. Yes. Yeah, and the second one. That's the kitchen work. Okay. So I understand, think about this, when I'm cooking first and I'm dirty, so I got to put on a clean thing. No. Ah, but what about, what about if I'm serving the king first nice and, clean. and then cooking? You do, yeah. Would I have to change my clothes? Yes. yes. Why? Why? I'm not seeing the king now. But you'll be seeing the yeah, king the tomorrow. The next day, you'll be okay. Yeah. Gonna see him tomorrow. The clothes must be holy. But don't you see the thing is flipped around? Yeah, yeah it is. It's the thing is flipped king. around. He's first doing the small shovel, which is serving the king, yeah. and then he's doing the big shovel. So, so what's the problem? So he gets dirty. He'll clean it. I understand when you're first doing it, you first are cleaning the mess, you don't go in with the dirty clothes, but you can't clean the clothes. Or I'll tell you a better thing. How about this? Worried about this? Well, how about the cook does not serve the drinks to the, to the master? Maybe there's two servants. Was there a shortage of Kohanim in the base of English? No. So let's do it very simple. One Kohen takes out the one shovel, and one Kohen takes out the massive amount. Doesn't that solve the problem? Logically, yes. In other words, why does one guy got to do both things? It seems so. This one coin must do both things while we have a must. And that's like, okay, I'm putting on my clothes to take the one shovel out. Fine. Now what? I got to change. It means he's got to leave. He can't just change in front of me's back out in the open. He's got to go to one of the offices. That takes time to walk to the office, change his clothes, put them on again. It's like, you know, it's like when I go on vacation. 
when I go on vacation, I get up in the morning, so I put on my nice black pants, my nice white shirt, and I dress really nicely, and I daven Tashem. Then when I'm finished davening, and I learn with my son, and then it's time to go out and hike on the beach, take off my clothes, and now I put on my beach clothes. And then when I'm finished on the beach, and then I come back home, and I have to have mincha, I change my clothes, and I put on my black pants and white shirt. Okay, I understand it, because I'm doing everything. <laughs> right? So I have to change. But with the kohanim, just have one coin to clean, the little clean, and one to the big clean. That would yeah. seem to solve the problem, wouldn't it? So it must be one service. The small shovel and the taking away is... Well, if it's one, one service. service, then you'd wear one pair of clothing. No, it needs two clothing. But if, if it's two clothing, then it's two services. But the thing is, no, but it, it can't be two services because yeah, the other one... It is. Really first of all, first of all, it's two services because it's two separate mitzvahs. Yeah, and they don't do There's the a mitzvah of cleaning out the daily ash... As a mitzvah of removing the large amount of ash. So it's two mitzvahs, it's two services. The same guy has to do it. So why does the same guy have to do two services? That's the question. Yes. Because at this point, there are only five kohanim, right? No, no, no. At this point. Yeah, but it's going to be and millions. There's going to be millions. And even if there's only even it's only five, <laughs> it's only five, you know, so one guy can do, they can share the jobs. But, it's going, but later there's going to be tens of, you know, Thousands and thousands, and there'll be lots. It's not a question of a work shortage, if that's what you're thinking about. So these are the questions we need to analyze over here. So I'm going to share with you, as time allows, two answers, one from the Balatanya and one from Reverse. And uh, the Balatanya says some amazing things over here. He says, what is the idea of ashes? Now we're going to get into the mystical understanding of ashes. You'll never look at ashes the same. Okay? okay? Now, by definition, what must have existed for ashes to exist? A fire. A fire. Very good. Okay. Now, a fire, generally speaking, ashes, generally speaking, especially as Jews, is a symbol of what? In your Jewish consciousness, when you think of ashes... Nothing. You think of Holocaust, okay. How about something um, more uh, recent? No. That's a fire. Negation of ego? Ashes? No, just what? Tisha What about Tisha The Okay. What's the meal you eat before Tisha called? Oh, oh, Sudam Okay, what do you do exactly? What you do last year? Sat on the floor. What did you eat? And you dipped it into ashes. That's ashes. Okay. You don't have no sons who got married. It's just daughters, right? So you don't. What happens when your son when when your son will get married, Mirzashem? So what's gonna happen right before the chuppah? You don't know yet. You only know from the girl side, so you don't know what goes on on the other side. What's gonna go on, if you have a good rabbi, which you will, is that he's gonna put you or the rabbi will put some ashes on your cousin's forehead. Did you know that? No. No. Okay, so you're learning something. Okay, and, and why? So ashes is a symbol of mourning. Okay. I'm not sure. What's the question? In other words, the wedding cannot be overly joyous because we cannot forget the destruction of the temple. So what's the point of the ashes? Hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm just starting. I'm just starting. We're, we're just starting. We're just taking, laying the foundation here to begin understanding what ashes is about. Now, we also know that prayer nowadays is in the place of korbanos. As the Navi says, and my lips shall be the, uh, the what do you call it? The substitute for the animal offerings. Now, proper davening, not the kind we're in a rush or we just turn pages, but proper davening, the way women daven. Davening is an emotional experience. 
It is a fiery avoda. And what do we know about fire? Fire can, or love for that matter, when you're very passionate, you warm up, your body warms up. And life can produce all kinds of passion, passions that can love, and passions that can destroy. Right? That's what life's all about. Life is satisfying passions, either for the good or for the bad. I have a passion to get this guy back, so I kill him. That's a passion, passionate act. Um, I want to really do good, something good. I'm going to help somebody with a lot of passion. That's also very good. So there's positive and negative aspects to passion. But wherever there is a fire, the aftermath must always be ashes. Now, depending on what you're lighting, let's say you're lighting oil. Are you going to get very much ash? Maybe, not really anything. As, as the element that you are burning becomes more uh, earthly, solid, you'll have more ash. Correct? Okay. So, but there was this raging fire. So imagine you got this imaginary block of wood here. So I'm not a scientist. I don't know how much the atomic weight of the wood is and everything. You light the fire. The fire's burning. Now, what's going to happen? Most of the wood will turn into energy, which is the flame. I'd say the vast majority... But at the very end, some of it, even though the whole block of wood will be gone, there'll be some ash left. Right? Now, is there ever any, ever any ash while the fire is burning? Not really. It's only at the end. In the after, aftermath, there's ashes. And, there, and when you're dealing with a fairly solid substance, there's always ashes. Not everything goes up in smoke. So far, so good. Okay, now let's turn this all into Jewish service to Hashem. Whenever a Jew serves Hashem with passion, when he's on fire, like really on fire, real passionate, what's going to happen at the end of that passionate prayer or whatever he's done with passion? There's going to be some ashes at the end. Existential ashes. In other words, just like we take, that's why God created, why did God have to create ashes? When something goes on fire, most of it gets consumed. But some of it, there'll be some ash that's left over. It's the remnant, it's what's left over after it. And the ashes look pretty. No, it gets very dirty from that. So now, whenever you go through a passionate spiritual experience and you're really on fire, now that should happen when you're praying once in a while, maybe on Yom Kippur, maybe at Neila, um, maybe when you're doing a mitzvah with passion. So while you're on passionate, there's fire, but there's no ash. But there's going to be a part of you that does not ascend up and that's going to be the ash. And that's going to be the ugly part of yourself, which we will explain. It's interesting, Svardim, what do you do after the Amida, after your passionate Amida? Right after Amida, what do you do, Svardim? What? Right after Shacharis Amida. Why? Just say that whatever mistakes we've done. But you just did that in the Amida. It's insurance. So that's why Ashkenazim don't do it. <laughs> I know that they because they're fiery. Didn't answer the question. They're more fiery. Ah. They pay right across the inside. But, but a real Sephardi, present company included, right? I mean, you go, you go to a Sephardi minion, they're not sleeping. No, they're good. The place is on fire. The place is on fire. Whew. There we are. You go to Litvak place, you got icicles to <laughs> pick through. <laughs> but you get smart and that's, it's a good fire. That mama shot fire. Ah, but, but as good as they are, 
and as much as everything's going up to Shemaim, they're not perfect. And there's some ash. And the ash represents there's some negativity that they are experiencing, which we'll explain. And therefore I said, I have to do a shamnu on the ash. Now let me explain what I just told you, what this means. But this is a very deep idea over here. So here's the idea. The higher, when you are at whatever spiritual level you're at, zero spiritual level, let's assume levels go from zero to 100. Zero being Esav, 100 being Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't know. Okay, so let's say, I'm not saying what anybody is. Let's say somebody's a 28, someone's a 46, someone's a 72. Okay, now you're, now you're, you're 26 davening Shmonas. I'm fired. As you're on fire, you're going up to 28, 29, 30, 31. But then when the fire goes down, you now look back down on 26. Ooh, that's not good. When you're able to get out of the gutter, so to speak, you could see what's in the gutter. You don't realize how many rats and roaches were in the gutter until you get out of the gutter and take a look inside. Okay? So the higher you go, the more you become aware of the spiritual flaws that have been hindering your growth that need to be discarded. Do you understand? We're in the middle of it. You think that's normal. But when you come out of that, so now let's think, let's think back on our spiritual journeys. Okay, think about certain things you did 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. How do you feel about them? <laughs> doesn't mean you're bad. Doesn't mean you're bad. Now, on a theoretical level, you should be noticing changes daily, but that doesn't often happen that way. But when you really are praying on fire, let's say at the Elon Yom Kippur, and you're really soaring, and then they blow the shoulder, that's it, boom! That comes the ash. And you said, really, you know, I really, this thing that I have, it's really holding me back. You know, when the, when the fire is out, the reality can be crushing. If you never got up, you never think there is anything to get out of. You think everything's fine where you're at. But when you're on fire, I said, this, this is really amazing. This is, this is what it's really all about. And then you finish, and then you, you go down. The fire's out, so what's left? Now, if you're a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu, you're like oil, like the menorah oil. There ain't no ash. Because there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> but nobody's oil. And therefore, when you have this great spiritual experience and you're on fire, and the more heat you have, the more um, residue you have. Let's say, let's say when you're smelting golden iron, what's the rule? How does it go? When you heat it up to a certain temperature, like certain fire. amount of the impurities go out. What happens if you heat it higher? Yeah. More impurities come out. The hotter it is, the more refinement takes place. And similarly, a person does not realize the flaws he has until he heats up. And therefore, just like with a korban, when we take the fire of the animal and everything, and it heats up, and it is, not everything goes up to Shemayim. There's some ashes that stay behind. Now we... And really, when we in broad korbanus, we have to feel the korban is taking our place. And certainly when we pray, and we try to pray on fire, or do any mitzvah on fire, we're like that animal. And existentially, when we have this great fire, and when the fire is burning, we don't see anything bad. This is now this new, good place we're at. But then the experience stops. And then what happens? The fire's gone, and what's left? The part of you that's not used to that, that's not pure enough, that's the ash. And that's, that's the part of you that go, whew, what kind of stinker I am that I still do these things? I could give all kinds of examples. You know, you had an amazing Shabbos. Westmount Shabbos. Kabbalah Shabbos. Wow. 
Shabbos morning, boom. Shalashudas, boom. Like last week, whoa, was that a good Shalashudas? Whoa, was that one of the top five? And Shabbos is over. <laughs> Fire's out. The ash is there. And you still want to turn on the internet and watch Netflix. Now, if you didn't have such a good Shabbos, Netflix doesn't bother you. That's normal. But when you had just a shot, like if you were Mama Shabbat the Shemayim, you were on fire. And then when we put out the Avdala candle, <laughs> the ash comes. And you're looking right at the ash, say, this, this doesn't suit me. Whatever the situation, I'm just giving a, a simple to explain explanation. Now you have to deal with that ash. And now the Torah is going to tell us there's two ways to deal with that ash, as we're going to tell you in a minute. But let me give you maybe one more example. You know, it's interesting. Uh, of all the children in my house, the one that's the most particular about what he eats from a health perspective is Mordechai. Years ago, when he learned the Rambam's thing, he does everything according to the Rambam. He will only eat proteins at one meal. He only eats carbs at another meal. He doesn't drink during the meal. He, in the morning, he only has juices. He doesn't have any salt. It's like the whole thing. And you know what? He's always getting stomach aches. <laughs> Me? I never get stomach aches. You know, I can take a half a slab of tiramisu cake, no problem. No problem. I can just go to this. And then Morty, Morty, let's say, come over our house on a Friday night. He comes to visit and he eats a piece of cake and then he's got a stomach ache. So I, I kid him. I say, I understand. You're the healthy one. Why you always got a stomach ache? So what's the answer? My system is so damaged. So cake doesn't do anything to the system. It's a damaged system. It's got so much garbage in it for the last 65 years, 60, whatever it is. It's going to be 66 soon. You know how much cake's been in this stomach over 66 years? You know how much ketchup's been in this stomach? Sugar's been in this stomach. Fats have been in this stomach. So what's another tiramisu cake going to do? What's Popper's going to do? That's all I think also. But Morty, all he has is like pure good food. He has a pure system. A little, a little schnapps, he's finished. The system is so pure, it's repulsed by it. Me, my system is such a rush, it's just happy to have more. It's like when you go on a diet and all of a sudden you have a piece of cake, it just goes right through your system, it just hits you. Yeah, so you understand. So therefore your body responds negatively because it's sensitive because it's so special. And therefore, what's happening when you really are on fire in the right way and you've been soaring with prayer, now you're a little bit more sensitive to things you've been doing. And now feeling the pain is really a blessing, which means that you have to move on. It needs some work. It's Trumas Ha-Deshen. Ha-Deshen. Da-Deshen. What's the gematria of ha Deshen. Hey is? Five. five. Dalit is? Four. That's nine. Okay. Shin? Three hundred. What do we got so far? Three hundred nine. Three hundred nine. And nun is? Fifty. So what's the total? Three fifty-nine. Okay. What's the gematria of? Satan. Sin uh, is? Seven. Shin. Three hundred. Tess? Nine. Nine. Nun? Fifty. Three fifty-nine. Hadeshen is Satan. The more heat, the more you uncover the sota. So let's give an example. Let's give an example. Um, I assume many of us now have been learning a lot of laws of Lashon Hara. We learn more about Sheker. How many of us would not have had any problems saying white lies in the past? A white lie. Yeah. Misleading people and things like that. But now, how, how do you feel when you say a white lie now? It's wrong. Mm. You feel sick? Yeah, I was Right? So at some point, you purified yourself. And you looked down and said, I can't say These white lies are ash. 
I've got to do something about it. So again, so as long as the fire is burning, there's no ash. Only when the fire ends, the inspiration is gone, then there's ash. That's a sad time. The absence of inspiration is very painful. And the Torah says, you spent the whole day with Karbanos. There's all kinds of fire going on the whole day. And now what am I left? The day is over. It's the next morning, back to the campfire. The fire is gone. That passion is gone. What's left? The ashes, which means what's left? I look back at my life and my spiritual profile in light of the heightened awareness I gained and I've got ash that I really see is bad. That can be painful. So what does the Torah say to do with that ash? It says to embrace it. And what do you do? You take a shovel and then you take it and what do you do? There's something in the ash that must be embraced. What? I mean, I have to still hang, learn from that because there's something there that's not good Now I have to work on it. The fact that now that I've reached this higher level and now the fire's out, I say, Netflix again? This is not, I have to work on myself. It's melting. And I have to, I have to, I have to get rid of it. And it's a good thing I noticed the ash because until now I thought it was normal. So what do you do? You go take a scoop of it. You go down. Where do you place it? Right next to the Mizbeach. I don't throw it away totally. But it's at the bottom of the ground. It's still near the Mizbeach, but at the bottom of the ground. Now what does this exercise do for the human being? Two positive things. Number one, it says you're human. And it's okay to be human. It's okay to have mistakes. Not a bad person. Hashem gave you Yetzirah. You're very human. And you've recognized there's a flaw in me. And welcome to the human race. Uh, but more important is, this becomes a catalyst for growth. Because now I know exactly what I have to work on. Okay? And now, and they, and they somehow, you know, weren't, weren't able to go up to the Shemaim with me. It's still there, so I gotta fix it. So the next time I got on fire, this will not be the ash anymore. You follow what's going on over here? And that's what's supposed to happen when you have a powerful spiritual experience, which prayer is meant to be. Or any powerful spiritual. When you have a very geschmack, a spiritual, and you really are feeling this is a really good spiritual experience. And then when it's over, you go, ah. and then you start thinking, ah, what kind of shmoy? This, that. Don't feel bad. You're glad. This is what I got to work on. I know exactly what my Avodah Hashem is. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. But then there's another type of ash. It's very, you have to be very careful. And you say, man, what a schmo I am. I do this, I do that. What if the guy cheats in business, present company excluded? I felt so good being close to Hashem and and I still cheat in business, and I, I, I sell people things they don't need. That's, that's terrible. And then, what? if you're not careful, what's going to happen? You're going to fall into a depression. Okay? And you're going to say, I'm one big satan. That also is a feeling that could happen. And that builds. So there comes the second mitzvah. The second mitzvah is... Take all the ash out, far away from the camp. That's, there's two different types of ash. There's the ash that's meant to be placed next to the Mizbeach to get swallowed up in the earth. It's still connected to the Mizbeach. It's part of my spiritual growth. And that's why it's called Trumas Hadeshev. Lift up the ash. What do you mean lift up? What are you lifting up? The answer is, there's one type of ash that's supposed to lift me up. I, I've exposed what this is, and now I've got to get rid of it and, and use that in a positive way. And that's going to become, and the next time there'll be a fire, it'll all go up to Shemayim. But the other ash that builds, 
and says, listen, I had this problem 10 years ago, I still have this problem now, and I'm still having this problem, and I must be a bum, and I must be depressed. So that, that's been piling up. Throw it out, no business over here. One big sutton, throw it out. And that's what the Tani uses these two terms. One is called root, bitterness, and one is called atzvus, lazy, uh, uh, depression, laziness. He says, being bitter is good. Bitter is good. Because bitter means, I feel bad about this, but I'm going to do something about it. Lazy and depressed means I'm going to do less about it. And therefore, we need two of these services. You follow? You follow what's going on over here? You need two of these services. Now you can understand how many people should be doing this service. The same person has got to do that service. The one, the one that's the first one, that's the one serving the king. Because that's the ash, but that's the ash that I see is bad and I'm going to commit myself to get rid of it. That's serving the king. That's one service. But then there's another service. You have to put on a different garment. It's got to be the same person. Because the same person inevitably is going to have to flirt with depression. Because you're finding all these mistakes. And that same person who is able to elevate part of it can be the same one who will fall into a depression. And you got to clean that out. They tell a story. I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe it's an urban legend. There was a, a big business. I don't know. If, I don't remember who it was. I think it's what happened. As a good work, like an executive vice president, like second to the top, like really up in a higher management. And he worked for years. He was amazing. And at one time, he just did the dumbest mistake and the company lost $10 million. $10 million, and it was a big, big, big amount of money. And he figures, that's it. He's going to lose his job. He gets the, uh, the boss calls him. He goes in. He says, okay, I, listen, I know, I know, I know. You're going to fire me. It's my fault. I'm, I'm going to take it. He says, what are you talking about? I just spent $10 million educating you about this mistake. Now I'm going to fire you? What a waste of $10 million. Let's go over and see what you did wrong and we'll make sure it's not going to happen again. That's the same thing over here. Right? An educational ash is good every day. But the second ash that comes from time to time is not so good. And guess what? If you follow this procedure, let me ask you, a lot of times people in Yiddishkeit, you know, have certain times in life where they're on fire. Let's say a balchuva, fresh balchuva, as they call the flaming balchuva. You know what? How come so many of the flaming balchuvas, their flames go out? Or the flaming FFB, whatever. You have certain times of your mamash on fire. And for a good while. Like you're in a really good groove, whatever, you're in a yeshiva, whatever. Or let's say uh, all of you, you know, you could have, wow, the last few months have been great. I've been going to Dafyomi for two months in a row. I've done 60 pages. It's amazing. I've been watching my tongue. I haven't done Shmir Saloshin. It's been amazing. All these things. And, uh, and, and then what happens? Then you just burn out. Is it like all of a sudden a person stops coming this year? Stops coming to shul. Stop. You know, you know what happens. You get sick for a couple of days, and then and then you have to go on a business trip, and then your wife gets sick, and then uh, you're, you you lost money in business, and then you got in a car. Like <laughs> all these things, you know. And, and then you're just off the rails, and then you lost the fire. Why is that happening? Why do people lose being on fire? You know why? Because they don't ever take out the ashes. You know, there's a part of Yiddishkeit, and this is not a pleasant part of Yiddishkeit. Would you say that taking out the ashes is the, you know, who takes out the garbage in your house? Don't answer. It's not a, it's, it's not a great job to do. It's not a great job to do. You know, it's not a high-profile job. Just, just give me, give me, let me slaughter the animal. Oh, that's good. Let me burn the animal. Oh, oh that's amazing. Let me eat somebody. That's all good stuff. Clean up? Who wants to clean up? 
But eventually, because the, the, the ash that's there keeps piling up. You know, what, what happens when uh, you don't clean the vacuum cleaner out? It chokes. It chokes, doesn't work. And if you're a lazy uh, person and you don't like taking apart, you throw it out. So you gotta, you gotta clean your own ash. How often? Daily. Daily for the small stuff. But then once in a while, you just say, you know, I'm never gonna be a Talmud I'm never gonna be able to control my anger. So let me just give up. Then you need a wholesale cleaning out of the ash. You see? So the only way the fire will stay is when we get rid of the ash. And it's very interesting. Rabbi Lau once um, met Lubavitcher Rebbe and when he was the chief rabbi, I think. So he comes here and so he says, how are things in Eretz Yisrael? Lubavitcher says. So Rabbi says, ah, oh, people are depressed. They say, what's going to be? What's going to be? And Lubavitcher said, we don't ask what's going to be. We should ask what are we going to do about it? Because what's going to be is a, is a statement of resignation. What are we going to do about it is a Jew knowing he has to innovate. So a person can say to himself, what's going to be, what's going to be with my family? What's going to be with this? What's going to be with that? What do you mean what's going to be? What are we going to do about it? And that's, that is really throwing the ash out. That certain ash has to go out while other ash like is here. What am I going to do with it? This is interpretation number one. Is it a worth the price of admission? Okay. And certainly, how does this connect to Pesach? Connects to Pesach is that we hope each and every one of us on the Seder night are going to be on fire. Your mom is you're preparing for Pesach. You've been cleaning. And the Seder is going to be so uplifting. And you're going to speak about the Seder and all this and get nachas from the children and the grandchildren and whatever. And your mom is you feel so great to be a Jew. There's like no better feeling in the world. And you feel great that night. And then, and the fire's burning. But next morning, you get up. Who does a pile of ashes? There's a pile of ashes. <laughs> You're falling down. And he goes, ah, every year is like that. I can't be like that all the time. Look, I'm still this, I'm still that. So that's so that what happens. We start counting spheres Omer. And we say, you know what? For the next seven weeks, you're going to take a shovel and clean a little bit of ash out every day. Because you now saw what you could do. You saw how proud you were to be a Jew. You saw that you could sit in front of Haggadah for three hours and talking in Torah and this, and there wasn't any Lush and Hara, and you really were so proud to be a Jew, and you weren't tired, and you weren't this, and you weren't that. And then the next morning you go, oh, another Seder tonight. All that ash. But you got to know what, what has happened is we're just exposing the things that are going to hold you back. Aren't you so happy that you found them? Now we got seven weeks of sphere and now we're going to work on every day shuffling out a little bit of ash. And that'll get you ready for shuas. And that's your elevating that ash. That's one connection. The second idea is much shorter, <laughs> much shorter. And for this, let's t look at a Rashi. Um, and to give us another idea about Ash, going way back to Avramavinu, when he prays for the welfare of Sodom, chapter 18, verse 27, which will put you at, way back there, put you back on page 82. 82, three lines from the bottom. Avram is praying to God to save Sodom, right at the bottom, 27. Avram says, right at the end, he, he says, Behold, now I desire to speak to my Lord, although va'anochi afor va'efer. I am but what? Afor, dust, or dirt, and ash. So what does that mean, dust and ash? So Rashi says, I was worthy to be dust 
during the war against the four kings. They should just trampled on me and destroyed me. And I should have been ash because Nimrod threw me into the fire. I should have got burnt. What's this idea of dust and ashes? Isn't dust good enough? Isn't, I mean, it's obviously humility, right? So if Hirsch says an incredible idea, an incredible idea. Reverse says that, one second, he answers, uh, let's, let's look at this. Let's look at Ash. Okay, what was the past? Right now is Ash, that's the present. What was the past? That was good past. What's the future? Dust. Ash. Ash. What's the future? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Dust. Sand. Sand. What's the present? Nothing. Nothing. What's been the past? Been stepped on. Pretty bad. But what's the future of sand? You could plant. You could plant trees. You can plant trees. So it's interesting. How each one, the present, doesn't look that great. One, the past was great, but the future is bleak. The other one, the past was bleak, but the future is promising. And that's what Hashem, that's what Avram is saying over here. And in a certain way, but presently the person is humble. Obviously the person is humble. And when the person is humble, Hashem raises them up. The present may be bad in our lives. But dust and ashes, you're not sure about what the present is. Now Avram's being, Sodom's about to destroy, destroy. That's not a very good present, even for Avram. He doesn't, he's not happy to see humanity destroyed. I'm offer ve'efer, which means to say there was a, a past that wasn't good, but the future can be good. And I have a past that was bad, and if, uh, that was good, but the future is not good. But if you have them together, then what do you have? <laughs> it depends how you look depends at things. Both good or both bad. Right? But you have great possibilities. It's a little bit similar, but not necessarily the same thing. Rabbi Nachman says, the past is gone, the future hasn't happened, so why worry in the present? But the, the, the way Avram is looking at it, so the present, I shouldn't worry because the past was good and the future can also be good. So let's take a look on a deeper level, what's happening over here. So when we take out the ash, when do we take the ash out? At the end of the night or the beginning of the new day? The beginning of the pre-dawn. So what are we doing? What are we really doing? No, we're continuing where yesterday left off. We were connecting to yesterday's avoda that represents the past. And we're continuing this. We're continuing this. But can we only always base ourselves on the past? Can't always go on the past. You have to create a new future. Because the past is piling up ash. So what has to happen at a certain time? We have to take it all out and now create something new. The first removal of the ash is focusing on what the past was. And the past could have been great. It was on fire. It was great. But wait a minute. But the ash is piling up, piling up, piling up, piling up, piling up. What kind of future can I have with all that? So I've got to now take all the ash and take it out completely. So what? That I can now build a new future. And this is the dialectic of what Yiddishkeit is all about. It's very interesting. It's an interesting halacha. Uh, we talked about once before, you know, in kashas, you know, when you get some treif gets in your pot, mixed meat milk, and I always ask, have you used in the last 24 hours? Why is it right bad? keep asking me about that. Because there's a concept that if there's taste in the pot, it can emit dairy or fleshic. Once 24 hours pass, it's called no Saint Tom Lifgam. It gives off a, a, a bad taste. It's not reckoned as dairy, it's not reckoned as meat. 
that's from a halakh perspective. It's 24 hours already. You really can't make, you know, any the food. Let's say I had a fleshic pot. I promise was cooking hot dogs in it, right? But I cleaned it. It's 24 hours past, and I do milk. The milk is okay. It's not straight. The pot's straight, but the milk's okay. Why? Because the taste of the meat has been wrecked up. So what do you see? Things in the past lose their value. Can use their value. You got to go forward. On the other hand, the Chassam Sofer had a play on words. We know there's an Isser when there's new crop comes. You can't eat it. It's called Chodosh. You can't have new crop until you bring the, the first new crop. Chassam Sofer made a pun and he said during the uh, Renaissance and the Reform Movement, which was a new breed of Yiddishkeit, he said, Chodosh Osir Minator. New crop is forbidden from the Torah. Was a pun. We don't. We don't we're, we're, we're not so excited about new things. So really, it's it's a dual thing. We got to straddle very much. On the one hand, there's truma sadeshin. We lift up. We look at the past. Yesterday's avoda. We respect it. We lift it up. I'm a continuation of it. But do I rely on that? And I don't come up with any new things. No, I got to clean out all the ash at one time, and I got to create new things. This is very, Yiddishkeit is a very fascinating way of looking. Everything we do, we've got to look at the past and at the future to understand what the present is. I don't have to worry, the past is over. The future hasn't happened, like Rabbi Nachman says, but I have to understand what my present is. What's my past? Look who I come from. Do I come from a phony Jesus Christ that doesn't exist? Do I come from a phony Islam? Do I come from people who think my grandparents were monkeys? Or do I come from divine people? Your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents. How come we're here today? Because somebody along the line, many of them made a lot of big sacrifices. There was a lot of fire, a lot of fire. There was a lot of passion in your families, in our families. And that's turned to ash. But now, when I want to go forward, I got to remember that ash. And every day I go back to the past and remember where I came from. And I respect it. But I, but I can't just sit in the past because there's new challenges in the 21st century. And we got to meet those challenges in ways that our parents could never even imagine. And therefore we've got to clean out all the ash to a certain extent and say we have to be creative in a way that is consistent which was in the past. And I think it, it plays out our Jewish consciousness. When you think when when I think about my grandparents were ash in the crematorium. And and what's my job? And my parents escaped that ash. Now they could have they could have decided to give up. They weren't scholars. They could have given up. Finished. Could have fallen into depression. The ash can make you fall into depression. But some of they're able to clean out all the ash. And they named their children after the people who perished in the Holocaust. And now I carry that name of my two grandparents who were murdered in the Holocaust to, to continue their great work, but my great work will have to be a little different than the work that they did because I'm under different challenges and different circumstances they were in. Isn't that what the Seder's all about also? That we go back to the past and we understand that that <laughs> past is the basis for our present but there still is going to be a future that we have to create that 40, 50 years from now, 60 years, when we are no longer here, that we want our children to look at our ash, so to speak, and be inspired to bring their new realities of life. So that's why we read this all before. So there is a, a very um, fine line we have to understand. We have to understand... You know, somebody once asked a question about the Holocaust, and they said, they said, you know, how could God do this? 
people were burning in a crematorium. They couldn't even get a Jewish burial. How can you explain this? So one smart person said, you know what they were? The Korban Ola burns all up to heaven. Nothing stays behind. In normal times, you die, you get buried in the ground. It's great. When you die on Kiddush Hashem, the way they did, there was nothing left. It all went up to Shemai. There wasn't even a loose bone, the backbone. They were just ashes. And those ashes showed us what we were missing and showed us what our future has to be. So therefore, we have to, we have to remember the values of the past which are important, and that is the afer, that's the ash. Has to create the future from the offer, the sand that will be the growth. Now here's the point. You can't be fixated on either one of the extremes. If you're fixated on the past, you know what you get? You get Yad Vashem. Which is not a healthy way of promoting Yiddishvah. Never again the Holocaust. That's not a positive image. Then there's others say, I don't want to know about the past. We're going to have a brand new future. That's called reform and conservative. Because they're cutting away from the past. So you got to re realize that if you, know, if, if, if you really feel the past was um, so, uh, so important, you get stuck in it. And that was a problem with a lot of Holocaust survi children, survivors. Many parents got so stuck in the past, they couldn't move forward and it paralyzed them. There was so much in the ash. And as I said, I don't want to know anything about the ash. I want to start fresh. I don't want to even be a Jew. And I'll start fresh from the beginning. I'll look at the future. That also isn't good. As Jews, we have to look back and say, that was a painful Holocaust. And I, it's part of my life. And that Holocaust, somehow, it, it came, ashes came out of that Holocaust where we honestly have to look at what things do we need to improve that does not desecrate the memory of those who died. There's reasons why things happened. Hashem obviously had to create this scenario, but there was a lot of ashes after the Holocaust, and the ashes needed daily removal to know what was missing and what do we have to correct. And that's how you saw great miracles in North America after the Holocaust. Where America, which really, had there not been a Holocaust, Judaism would have died in America. And he had a few survivors, a Rav Aaron Cutler here, a Rav Moshe Feinstein here, a Satmarov here, a hand, Mamish, a handful of people, changed the whole America. Mamish changed it, revived it, and, and took the ashes and said, we have to learn from what happened with the ashes over here. And it's still, it's unbelievable how, how it was in America in the 1900s where every Jew was thrown off their keeper, thrown off their tefillin of the Atlantic Ocean, and these old rabbis convinced some young rabbis and they're trying to, and, and, and what they brought it to a state now, it's unbelievable. <clears throat> and that's what you got to think about on, on uh, Pesach. These two ideas, the, the ash of to see what our faults are and to know I embrace them and now I'm going to create a beautiful new reality and I'm not going to let it depress us. And part of our historical context that goes precisely with that. Some people say, I'm so depressed of the Jewish people, I don't want to be part of them anymore. Or you could say, no, we, we've got faults, but, but since we address those faults, that's why we're a permanent people. We don't believe in cancel culture. And that we're not part of the cancel culture. And with that, Hashem should give us an amazing Pesach and a Mir Hashem to clean the ashes and be happy to clean the ashes all the time. Thank you. Okay, shukayach everybody. Thank you for coming. Okay.